right, well, hey, uh, good morning once again, and welcome to FBC Online. I'm so glad that you're with us. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to invite you now to open up a Bible with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, where we are continuing our study in the book of 2 Timothy, this letter in the New Testament. You know, at FBC, we have this conviction that the Bible is God's Word. And so uh, every week, part of our worship service is to come to the Word and to study it together, to read it, to see what God has to say to us. And so for a few months now, we've been walking through the book of 2 Timothy in the series we've called Onward, which is all about uh, looking out at the future and stepping into the future, seeking to follow Jesus faithfully. Uh, This letter is written by the Apostle Paul in the first century. He's about to die, but he's writing to this young pastor named Timothy about, hey, here's how I want you to step into the future and remain faithful in the months and years ahead. So as we get ready to jump into the text, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we love you, and we thank you for the incredible gift of your word that you have made yourself known to us, that we can read uh, even these, these few verses this morning and hear from you. So God, would you teach us? Uh, would you shape us and guide us and convict us and do your work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Uh, we come with open hands and humble hearts. Uh, Lord, would you have this time and use it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the realities of parenting that is most scary for me to think about is the fact that one day Zoe is going to be in all kinds of situations and I am not going to be there with her to help her, right? She's going to find herself in situations as she grows up and I'm not going to be around and Amber is not going to be around, Right? She's going to go off to school and, and be by herself and with other people and adults. She's going to go on overnight trips. She's going to go on uh, different travels. She's going to grow up and have to figure things out on her own. And now, I know that that's just a part of growing up. That's what kids do. It's healthy. It's necessary. But as a parent, it's kind of scary because right now when she's little, it's like I'm with her all the time or Amber's with her all the time. Someone is always with her, helping her navigate situations, but that will not always be the case. And so I think as a parent or as parents, what can we do to prepare our kids for those times where we're not going to be around and they're going to have to figure it out themselves? One thing we can do is we can... prepare them or or coach them beforehand, right? Kind of sit them down and say, hey, uh, here's what's coming up. Here's what you're going to walk into. Here's what's going to go on when you go to school. And and here's how you can navigate that. We can kind of coach them or give them advice or tips beforehand so that they're ready to navigate it. And this is almost the, the picture that we get in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, and it's essentially like Paul's a concerned parent, and he's sitting Timothy down and saying, hey, I'm about to die. Uh, I'm not going to be here to help you navigate the tumultuous months and years ahead, and so here's what I want you to remember. Here's what you can expect. Okay, so remember the context here. In in chapter 3, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says what? Hey, there's going to be some difficult times ahead. There's going to be terrible times ahead. Things are going to be really 
challenging. You're going to see this like downward spiral, this moral decay in society and even in the church. There's going to be false teachers. All kinds of crazy things are going to be going on. Uh, some of these things, right, we even today can relate to. We've seen some of these things in our society now. But for Timothy, Paul is pointing out, hey, there's going to be these challenges. And then he, he shifts gears in verse 10. And he says, hey, uh, you're going to see all these things happening, but here's how I want you to respond. Here's how I want to encourage you to remain faithful. Okay, and notice how he does this uh, in the text. Verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet, the Lord rescued me from all of them. Okay, so again here, the image we have is picture Paul like this concerned parent, and he's sitting Timothy down in the kitchen with his son before he sends him off to school. He's got his like brown bag, sack lunch, ready to hand him, or uh, before he goes off on some adventure. And again, verses 1 through 9, you're going to see some really dark and difficult things, Timothy. I want you to be, be ready for that. People are going to get all kinds of crazy. But then verse 10, you... However, there's some emphasis here. You, however, but as for you, here's what I want you to remember. And you'll notice what Paul does in the text is he points to his own example of living a godly life. He says, you're going to see all kinds of crazy, uh, terrible things in society and in the church, but I don't want you to go that direction. Instead, remember the example I have set. I want you to follow in my footsteps. That's a pretty bold statement from Paul, and yet he's justified in saying this. Like, look, at, look at how he goes on in verse 10. He says, hey, you know all about my teaching, and we've talked about the teaching of Paul and the, the gospel that has been preserved and that Paul is passing on, uh, but most of what he focuses on here is not necessarily his, his teaching, but he's, he's talking about his conduct, uh, his way of life, and he says right in the text, you know about my way of life. You know about my purpose, my you know, endurance, persecutions, and suffering, and so on. You know how I've lived. And that example can be a model for you and help you. You know, this past week at small group, we were studying the first couple of verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we asked the question, hey, all this difficult stuff is going to come in, in the future. How can we as Christians prepare ourselves for that? What can we be doing now to prepare for the storm that's coming? And, and Peggy, in our group, this, this wonderful woman, shared this really insightful response. She said, well, one of the things we can do is we can know the Bible. We can look at the Bible and see all these examples of men and women uh, throughout history, men and women, uh, the people of God, who have faced difficult circumstances, and they've endured hardship and persecution and suffering and really tragic things in their lives, and yet they were able to continue to trust God. Right? They were able to continue to be faithful to God. And so we can look at their example and say, wow, uh, we're called to be faithful today, to continue to trust that God is good, that God is in control, that God is sovereign, even if our circumstances are difficult. And we can see that we're not alone in this. Right? We can look back 
to the Bible. And see, there's this, this great legacy of, of men and women, the people of God throughout uh, generation after generation that have been faithful to God, even in difficult circumstances. And so, Paul's example, his endurance, his way of life, yes, can be an encouragement to young Timothy here in this letter. But Paul's example can also be an encouragement to us today. We can look to it and be motivated by it. And so let's, let's remember together a little bit about the example of Paul. Paul was a, a faithful Jew. He was a, a zealous Pharisee. But then his life was radically altered when he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Remember, he was going around persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians. He thought the people that, that preached Jesus were, were crazy, were leading people astray. But then he had an encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, and it changed his life. And then he became a minister of the gospel. He went around the ancient world sharing the message of Jesus, uh, planting churches, going on, on several missionary journeys where he'd go to new cities and towns and tell people there about Jesus. And so he's reminding Timothy of this. Hey, you know my way of life and my endurance and what I went through to share the gospel. And I love this. He points out in verse 10, he says, Timothy, you know what happened in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Okay, these were three cities that Paul visited on his first missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. And things didn't go very well. Okay, yes, some people responded to the gospel, but ultimately Paul got ran out of town. And Lystra specifically, Lystra was Timothy's hometown. It's a fun fact. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you know what happened in your hometown. You probably heard about what happened when I was there, how I got kicked out, okay? People treated me pretty poorly, beat me up. It didn't go so well. So tell your cousins, I haven't forgotten what happened, and I'd, I'd love to talk with them. I think we can reconcile some things. Saying, Timothy, you know what happened there, that I endured suffering for the sake of the gospel. And if we know anything about the life of Paul, we know that this, this wasn't like a one-time thing or an outlier, as if Paul went to Antioch and Lystra and Iconium, and sure, things were bad there, but you know, everywhere else Paul went, people were just thrilled to hear the message of the gospel, and they welcomed him warmly. The dear, our honored guest, the Apostle Paul, is coming. Let's uh, lay out the red carpet for him. Prepare your finest side dish. Kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate our dear friend Paul is coming to town. Not really. Right? He often faced opposition, rejection, uh, violence, and persecution towards him. Not because he was just like rude and didn't know how to talk to people and was really a difficult personality. No, it's simply because he was preaching Jesus. And many of the Jews had a hard time with that. And it was stirring up things in the Gentile world. Non-Jews didn't like that and what that meant for them. And so wherever he went, he really faced challenges. And we've seen this text before. I've read from 2 Corinthians for us, but I think this verse helps just like summarize what the life of Paul was like. 2 Corinthians, uh, in verse, chapter 5, verse 23, says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. 
Uh, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold uh, without enough clothing to keep me warm. And so Paul there in 2 Corinthians is just saying over and over again, Timothy, uh, look at the challenges I've faced. So says, Timothy, you, you know about this. You know about thing, these things that I've endured. And so, Timothy, you might be tempted to give up, to compromise, to take an easier route when things get hard. But I want you to look at my example. I want you to stay the course. It's worth it. Now, we might read through that list and say, wow, that sounds pretty extreme. I mean, what could possibly make that worth it? Being beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked and being beaten up by your own people and by the Gentiles living in constant danger, running away, sleepless nights, cold, without food, being in prison. I mean, what could possibly make that worth it? I mean, is that enough to make any of us say, I'm out, I'm going to go a different direction, this is too much? What makes it worth it is what we see Paul hint at in verse 10. He says, Timothy, you know my purpose and my faith? You know my purpose has been to preach the gospel, and my faith has been in the Lord Jesus. So knowing Jesus and preaching Jesus is worth it. It reminds us of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. See, I've lost everything. In fact, I don't even uh, care. I'm not even bothered that I've lost those things because they're really not worth anything compared to the surpassing worth and greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing Jesus, walking with Him, being near to Him is worth it. And so friends, we've talked about before how Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is our King. He is our authority that we seek to obey. And we've talked about how Jesus is our Savior. And so we should have grateful hearts because he's rescued us from sin and death through his work on the cross and his resurrection. But friends, do we believe that Jesus is our treasure? Not just our Lord and our authority, not just our Savior that we're, we're grateful for, but our, our treasure. Is that we desire to know him We pursue him with our whole hearts. We say, he's the one that I want. I want to be near to him. I want to walk with him and be in his presence forever. That's the desire of my heart. Is Jesus your treasure? That's what's going to make this worth it. Say, Lord, I will go where you call me to go. And so that was Paul's example. 
That's the example Paul said that he's speaking of. Timothy, you know my example. You know my life. You know my endurance and persecution. That's the way I want you to go. It makes you wonder today, what does our example communicate? If we were to say to Timothy or to uh, the next generation, hey, you're going to see things get wild, but you know my example. You know my way of life. You know my endurance. You know my faith. You know what I've been about. What would they see in us? See, often I wonder if today in America, in the American church, if we've settled for a much less compelling vision of following Jesus. Where we invite people to Jesus and to church or to become a Christian, but really uh, it's just sort of cheap. It's just cheap Christianity. It's, hey, just, I mean, come on, you can give up a little bit of time on a Sunday every once in a while, right? It's not going to cost you much. It's not really a big deal. Or, or it's really just self-focused Christianity. It's focused on self. We say, well, Jesus is going to be a really nice little add-on to your life. Trust me. Praying a little bit here and there really boosts your self-esteem, lets you know that someone is with you. It's a nice add-on. So you can keep kind of just doing your thing and then just add a little Jesus on the side, a little improvements from time to time. But really, it's still about you. Don't worry. Or we'll say, hey, you know what? Church is just, it's really just about getting uh, religious goods and services that you receive. Very uh, consumer mentality. And so if the product isn't great or the experience uh, isn't that high quality, uh, you can, you know, go engage somewhere else or not engage at all. It's not really worth it. And I think that this season, friends, let's be honest, has revealed some of those things in our hearts. Our selfishness, how much we're driven by our own preferences, uh, sometimes how we've bought into kind of a cheap, not very costly version of Christianity. And so I ask you, what, what has following Jesus cost you? Can we say like Paul, you know my endurance, my suffering, you know all that I've gone through for the sake of the gospel. Can we say anything similar? What has following Jesus cost you? Now, for some of you, it's, it's cost you a lot. I know for some of you, it's cost you dearly, uh, relationally. It's brought all kinds of stress and tension into your life. So I know for some of us, it's been quite costly. But for some of us, it hasn't. And we need to consider that. Because the goal here, right, is that we want to invite people, like the Apostle Paul, into this full, robust faith in Jesus that says, you know what? Yes, it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly. Jesus says, right, full disclosure, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, you need to come and die. Come and die to yourself and follow me. You need to lose your life. This is the invitation of the gospel. Lose your life for my sake. And that's where you'll truly find life. So die to yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life. But in so doing, you will find what life is really all about. That's where you'll find true joy. That's where you'll find true freedom. That's where you'll find true life. So do we believe that? That following Jesus is, is worth it? Costly, yes, but, but worth it? Because friends, the, the message of Scripture and the message of the gospel is 
bigger than we can imagine. Yes, through faith, God has saved us, reconciled us to himself, given us eternal life and hope, and now then he calls us into his story to use our gifts and our passions and how he wants to work through us to to build up the church and to engage the needs of the world beyond our walls, to see lives transformed by the gospel, to see individual hearts and families changed forever, communities transformed and the hungry fed and a broken world renewed and justice brought to the oppressed and, and peace in our land, to see disciples made with an eternal hope given, an eternal impact on the lives that we minister to. So friends, the story of the gospel and this invitation from Jesus is weighty and it's, it's big enough to bear the weight of persecution, to bear the weight of, of inconvenience. I'm willing to, to get uncomfortable for the cause of the gospel because I'm sold out for the cause of Christ and it's infinitely bigger and more satisfying. There's more joy to be found here than a life that's turned inward and focused on myself could, could ever, ever provide. So yes, it's costly, but there's great joy. And so Paul says, Timothy, you know my way of life. You know my purpose, my faith, my, my persecutions even. And all of it points to the greatness of Jesus. How he's worth it. And so what does our example say about Jesus? And so this really asks us, each of us, to consider uh, where we might need to make some changes in our lives. Again, what does following Jesus cost you? Have you had to make sacrifices financially? Have you had to make sacrifices with your schedule, with your priorities, with what your family looks like? Have you had to change things or make hard decisions, not, not just for the sake of sacrifice, not just to be uncomfortable and grumpy, but because there's this, this uh, opportunity Jesus is calling you to, to, to love your neighbors well, to serve, to, to fund missionaries that are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. What's one change maybe you or your, your family can make? And I invite you to hear, if, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to hear first that the first step is to repent, turn from your sins, and, and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Give your life fully to him. So I'm not telling you, hey, go, go get to work, go do big things for God so that he'll love you. No, first step is respond to the gospel. God already loves you and has offered you salvation, forgiveness for your sins, adoption into his family through the work of Jesus. And so first step for you is if you've never made that decision, would be simply to pray today to, to trust Jesus as Savior and follow him. And there's a resource we have at the church called a, a gospel intro. It's a 30-day it's a kind of self-guided journey where we have uh, some resources for you to read, some Bible passages to work through. Uh, we would love to put that in your hands. If you're like, I'd like to know more about this following Jesus thing, but I don't really know where to start. I uh, would love for you to fill out our connection card. Just mention in that little chat that you'd, uh, or in the connection card, that you'd like a copy of the gospel intro, a 30-day journey exploring Jesus. And we would love to get that resource to you so you can take some first steps. At this point, 
though I'd also like us to ask and to think about uh, who has been a godly example in your life. So we see Paul saying, Timothy, remember my example. Things are going to get crazy out there, but remember what I've modeled for you, this godly life. Uh, Who has done that for us? And we've asked this before, and I've considered you to think about this before, but, but remember, we're all here. Like if, if you're following Jesus today, uh, that's because God has used people in your life. God used someone, maybe a parent, a friend, a mentor, a neighbor. Someone uh, invited you. Someone taught you about Jesus. Someone opened up the Bible with you. Someone asked you questions. Someone prayed for you. Someone pointed you to him. Likely many people God used. But so I ask you, who has God used in, in your life? And I think about right now uh, my former boss, uh, Jeff, serving as a pastor still out in Colorado. Before I was here, I worked with him there. And he has been a constant source of encouragement. Someone I call quite often to, to talk through various things in my life or things at the church that I'm thinking about. And he's uh, constantly been this model of steadiness of loving Jesus, of loving people in good times and in bad times. And so I, I thank God for Jeff, that he was this example of faithfulness and godliness and endurance in ministry. And so I ask you, who is someone that's been like that in your life? And then I want to encourage you to take the simple step to go and tell them that this week. To go and, and thank them. Hey, who has God used in my life and been an example of godliness and faithfulness to me that maybe was a significant help to you in a difficult season, in a season of, of doubt, in a season of turmoil? They were there for you or their example really encouraged you to stay the course? Because sometimes the people that influence us don't even know that they've influenced us. Right? Sometimes the people that have poured into us don't really know the impact that they've had. And they can hope, maybe they wonder, But if you go to them and tell them, hey, here's how God used you in my life. I really am grateful for you. That that would make their day. That would bless them by just speaking really honestly to them about the impact that they've had. So I encourage you, there's a little homework this week to go and do that. Now, turning back to the text, there's another thing we have to see here in verse 12. In case we think that, again, Paul's life is an outlier, You know, like Paul had a hard time, but that's kind of rare. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Say, well, great. (laughs) Paul says, hey, Timothy, this whole endurance, persecution, suffering, staying the course thing, uh, it's not just for me. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or or Jesus says simply in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Hey, following me, it's not going to be easy. People are going to be kind of hostile to the gospel and to my people. And so sometimes this is from outright persecution, like Paul getting, uh, you know, kicked out of town and beaten up and left for dead. Uh, That takes place in other parts of the world today. But sometimes it's, it's more subtle, especially here in our culture. No one's getting beat up today for being a Christian in our circles, but there is social rejection. There is uh, 
cultural pressure, being ostracized. There is the feeling of being, being kind of politically homeless. Uh, the path, friends, is, is narrow that leads to life, and few find it. And so today, if we're following Jesus, there's all kinds of pressure and, and discomfort and tension that's going to be there if we're trying to be faithful to the teachings of Scripture. And, and so, friends, when this happens, we should not be surprised. Paul tells us to expect it. Jesus told us to expect it. And, and so much of life is about expectations, right? That if we set our expectations beforehand, we know what's coming, it's going to be a lot easier to handle even difficult things. It's more than half the battle. So Paul says, hey, it's coming. Don't be surprised. But the question is, when, when that day of persecution or, or suffering or rejection or challenge comes, we have to ask, is it worth it? Is our view of God and our commitment to Christ uh, big enough in our hearts to compel us to, to continue, to stay the course, to follow the example of Paul and the example of Timothy and to continue to give our lives to the Lord? So friends, as we navigate the difficult days ahead, uh, yes, we can look to the example of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and his faithfulness. But even more important, uh, we can look to the person of Jesus. We can remember our Lord and what he endured for us. And we have an opportunity to do that as we come to the table to celebrate communion. Again, communion looks a little different right now because we're normally uh, in person and we get to come up to, to one table and remember our unity as the people of God. But we're, we're scattered right now, but we can still uh, take the elements of communion and remember the work of Jesus. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, you can, again, grab uh, an element representing the bread, a cracker, a piece of bread, a wafer, uh, representing Jesus' body. I'm going to invite you to grab a drink, a cup, something to, to represent the, the blood of Jesus. See, as a church family, we have these four commitments that we talk about pretty regularly, right? We're committed to worship, to connect, to grow, and to go. But it all starts with worship. Right? Before we connect and grow and go, it starts with worship, that we individually and collectively worship Jesus. We look to Him. We turn our eyes to Him. We remember that we belong to Him. We celebrate the gospel. And that's what communion is about, is reminding us of the gospel, that sure, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what difficult times are ahead, we remember who we belong to. That because of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, the, the King of Kings has purchased us. He's forgiven us of our sins, and through his work, he's invited us into his family. We now belong to him. He died for us and he rose again that we might have new life with him. And so we celebrate all of this as we come to the table, this, this unshakable confidence and hope that we have because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so friends, I invite you to participate uh, with us. This is for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We come uh, we celebrate by taking these elements. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can take the elements together. Okay. Let's pray. 
But Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Uh, you've told us to, to take communion, and as often as we take these elements, uh, to remember you. We're doing this in remembrance of you, that you gave your body for us on the cross. You shed your blood for us on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be washed and redeemed and bought back, purchased, that we might belong to you. And so, Jesus, we, we celebrate the gospel, that you have rescued us and saved us through no work of our own, but fully through your work on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we remember you. Thank you. Amen.